Today we had on the show Marianne Bolas from Bolas Consulting. Looking back on the show, I think she had a lot of interesting things to talk about, how women-owned businesses can be supported. The biggest thing I found was she talked about how to start with local governments for small businesses, bidding uh, solicitations at the local government level, something that I, due to my product line, had never done in my career. And the biggest thing also I find is she'll tell you how many dollars are out there for you folks to capture in the government market. So I hope you enjoy our show today coming up on Small Business Horsepower. Welcome to our podcast today on Small Business Horsepower. Your Small Business Horsepower podcast is available on Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you can find your podcast. We're so pleased today to have Marianne Bolas from Bolas Consulting on the on the uh, showgram today. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. I'll tell you why before I introduce her. Why I wanted to have her on the show. I do a lot in my day job, if you will, with government contracts as a small business, mostly around the aerospace, military, and defense sector. But I know how important it is for small businesses to participate in government contracts, whether they be commercial or military. And I heard Marianne on another podcast, and I liked it. So I said, let me, let me get her on the show, Graham. So Marianne, welcome to the podcast today on Small Business Horsepower. Thank you, Mihail. I'm glad to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. First, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into this business. Yes. So I have my background actually on the other side of things, which was government. So I had my bachelor's and my master's degree, both in public policy. I thought I wanted to be the next Leslie Nope. And I got a job in the county right out of graduation and realized very quickly that I am not a very good pencil pusher. So um, just to give an example, I think it's because I have, you know, I am an entrepreneur at heart. And so, for example, one of my boss, who's a very lovely woman, said, Marianne, um, you have too many ideas. If the higher ups notice, they're going to fire you. So that just kind of gives you an idea of the environment that I was in. And also because of who I am, didn't really necessarily fit that mold. So I took everything I learned about government that I loved, and then I jumped ship into the entrepreneurial sector. And that was about six years ago, I started Bolus Consulting, and I worked pretty much as someone who bridges that gap between businesses and government as a procurement and grants professional. And so that, like I said, that was six years ago. And since then, we've raised $52 million dollars. And we focus mainly on social, um, social impact. And so that could be products, it could be services, it's mainly services. But usually if someone has some kind of social good idea, so for example, like a clean energy company, or they are a mental health services agency or a homeless, uh, homelessness serving agency, we usually come in and we'll help them submit proposals for funding. And we also sometimes help them do the stuff on the on either side of that. So that could be helping them get their business certifications, 
It could be helping them build out their actual program because they're actually a little too nascent for, um, for grants or contracts just yet. And on the other side of that, we'll also help them implement the project once they get funding. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions, Marianne. It seems like you started with grant writing, and I was going to ask if that's your primary focus, or do you help clients with products and services? We started out with grant writing, and it was very much a trial by fire. Grant writing, uh, and a lot of companies that come with me, that, that come to me, they want grants. Grants is actually a lot more competitive, in my opinion, than government contracts. Because it's usually for nonprofits and nonprofits are a saturated market. So it is a dog eat dog world in the grants world. And if grants for nonprofits are saturated, grants for small businesses is even more so. And so I, but it, so it was very much a trial by fire. It is similar to the contract industry, but rather than it being funding an idea, contracts are a fee for service. Sometimes it could be funding an idea, but there's that transactional quality behind it, which is the government needs a service being done and the company opposite to them. But I, what I learned from grants, I was able, which is actually the element of storytelling. I was able to take that and apply that to the government contract side, because like I said, what we do is transactional, but it is for the mission-driven part of government, right? Because government, they are not bottom line driven. They are, their end goal, their mission is to help the people. Theoretically, their mission is to serve the people. So the work that I do with my clients, they are also mission-driven companies. So I was able to take that storytelling and apply it to contracts. And we won within the span of like three years, we doubled the amount that we won for grants that we had won under grants because wow. of that one quality that I was able to transition over. Wow, that's great. I heard you on another podcast say there's about 700 billion bucks dollars in contracts out there. Is that an accurate number on the federal yes. level or what? Yes, that's just the federal. That's Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I think on the local and state, I think it's a hundred billion, but don't quote me on that. That's not a hard and fast fact. That was in a webinar. I just happened to be on a webinar yesterday that they said that number, but I haven't checked it myself. But yes, just on the federal level, we're not even counting like your local city and your local county and your, lo and your state. Wow. And then I heard you were saying that you can 10x your business using these government contracts. So 10 times of your, explain that a little bit and how companies get there. Yes. Lots of reasons. Okay, so where do I start with that? That's a good question. First, so governments will always pay their invoice. They are the one customer that you can rely on because if they don't pay their invoice, if for some reason the government can't pay its invoice, you are in a whole, like you have another set of problems on your hand that are much bigger than an unpaid invoice, right? That means the government has collapsed. We have other problems. So that's one reason. Another reason is that, and this is my personal opinion, which is that government is more meritocracy based or more transparent, I guess. Maybe not necessarily meritocracy is the right word because relationships are important and I don't want to undervalue um, that for people who are new to this, but it's more transparent. With other companies, for example, if you want business with a company, there's no proven process to get it, right? You have to build a relationship. You have to sell them based off your personality and your um, unique offering and all of that. Whereas governments, it's clean and simple. They release a solicitation, you respond. They evaluate, they'll have a team of evaluators, they'll score it. And if you scored the highest, you'll get it. 
If you don't score high, you can ask for a copy of your reports to see exactly why you didn't get it, where you were weak. Use that information to iterate on your proposal writing process and then submit another proposal rate later. You can even, um, by submitting a public request for information act, you can even get a copy of the winner's response and see what your competition is looking like and what they're doing to win that money. So that's why I, for me personally, especially for small businesses who don't have access to, let's say, big, big companies, right? I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, that's a great point, Marianne. I work um, a lot with military air force bases and so on in my career. And there is that and I'm a relationship guy, so there is that frustrating part where like, oh, well, your price wasn't the best. I have to be fair and award it to X. At the same time, though, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I've had situations where, you know, prices have doubled, for example, and the buyer could have held us to that price on a contract. But because I've done various deals with that buyer, they found ways to recompete it or do something to bail us out so we don't go broke. You know what I mean? So like there's still that relationship aspect anywhere. And I think that that goes for the military, government and everything. But you're right. It's a different process than where you have no idea where your pricing is, where you like working with, a let's say, a commercial airline. Right. So you have no idea where anything's at. So this really helps companies. Tell me about the various types of small businesses you work with. I mean, I know there's different ones like minority, hub zone, women owned. Can you explain a little bit about each one? Yes, I would. I also would like to respond to what you said about like that buyer story. If I could, that's also the reason why relationships are important. And I think that's a really good example is that governments are really risk averse. They are more risk averse than the average company by tenfold. And the reason why is because, because they're not a profit-based entity. They are The money that they're dealing with is taxpayer dollars. And we all know taxpayer dollars are always under scrutiny. So every department is afraid of the day that, you know, the news breaks out that they're not they're not handling their tax dollars wisely. And so because of that, governments are uh, risk averse. So if you have a good relationship with them, if you have proven experience with them, um, like you've proven yourself over and over again, that you will handle their money with due diligence and you will do what you said you did, you will do what you'll say you'll do at the time that you'll say you'll do it and you blow it out of the park, they'll make sure to, and this is where maybe it gets a little bit less um, you know, it's a, it, I will leave that for another conversation for another day, but they'll sometimes do what it needs to do to make sure that you always win that RFP because they want you to win it because they know that you're the, you understand them the best because you have that proven history of a relationship. Absolutely. That's a great point, Marianne. Tell me a little bit about this uh, types of classifications because I think that's important, right? Like hub zone, minority, women owned, and some of these get even more advantages over just being a standard small business, correct? Yes. Um, and just so you know, by the way, the AA certification program is indefinitely on hold. I'm not sure if you've heard. The 8A? Yeah. Hey, I gotta, I gotta, I shouldn't divert because I asked you a question, but I gotta jump in here because in my, when I owned a previous company, I had an 8A contract. 
I got it. I did everything, but I never could use it. I'll tell you why. Because in my industry, supplying products to the military, what I found, Marianne, is most of these military bases that were using 8A contractors, their allocation was already done using them for like janitorial services and stuff like oh and so those 8a the people there really didn't know how to incorporate a guy that was a product supplier of let's say advanced materials on an 8a contract it was easier for them to put their arms around hiring a janitorial company to clean the base that was an 8a but later on i found out that one or two of my competitors learned how to use it to get the job done to where they can get millions of dollars without having to compete it again so i wonder why they put it on hold a and b if you can speak to some of these things you know hub zone minority and even 8a Yes. Okay. So for what happened with you specifically, what that sounds like to me is there needed to be a gatekeeper that you needed to find um, to convince them to allocate money for the next fiscal cycle for products like yourself, for yourself, for your competitors, I would maybe submit a public request for information to see what they did, to see if there was anything written that they submitted or any email correspondence to see, kind of see whether they found something that they could have submitted or how they built that relationship and how they found that, that gatekeeper and how they were able to broker that deal. Um, that being said, for the listeners, public requests for information are not to be taken lightly because they can, you're basically forcing the government's hand and some people don't like that. So um, in terms of like relationship with them and being shrewd, shrewd, use it right. wisely. Yeah, use it wisely. The SBAAA program is currently on hold because of the fallout of affirmative action being stricken down by the Supreme Court. And so I tried looking into it. It is very legalistic, way above my pay grade. It's because of the way that the AA program is written legalistically no longer i i'm not even going to say because i it's i might butcher it i would maybe ask a lawyer and you can look it up just type in aa on hold and there's a lot of um, lawyer blogs about why but it's basically it's under scrutiny so the same lawyer who struck down um who who championed anti-affirmative action is also championing championing um getting rid of the aa program and he also was able to successfully sue um companies that were giving grants to women to women so basically like um, especially black women owned grant black women owned business grants have been struck down and so there's a chance that all of these items that we're talking about might not exist in the, the next five years we'll see but what i've been telling people is if it doesn't exist five years from now that's fine it exists right now so get it right now and use it for everything that you can get out of it right now because you don't know when it's going to be gone and that includes like what we're going to talk about in a minute the hub zone program the women-owned small business program the minority business enterprise who who knows they haven't been under fire yet so there's nothing on the news about like you know that women-owned small business certification is in the sights of the same lawyer but if they attack the 8a program who knows what could happen next right 
I mean, uh, it's a lot to get on, chew on that, but um, do you work, do you target for your clients at your consulting firm one type of government agency, or do you work with like DLA, GSA, Veterans Administration, or city governments, or what's your main focus? Yes, my main focus is women-owned small businesses helping them and minority small businesses helping them get their certifications. Um, the MBE is actually not a federal certification. It's a it's like a nonprofit certification by the Minority Small Business Council. But we work, in the, because I work with a specific type of client, it naturally lends itself to a specific type of agency, which are agencies that are people-serving. So for example, like health and human services is an example, right? Because they are a people serving agency, local, like uh, city, county, state, because those usually have some kind of people component, like the local department of public health or the local department of social services. Those are the type of agencies I work with. And then the type of small business certification agencies that I work with are women-owned small business and minority-owned um, small businesses. Yeah, and one of the things I'm hearing you saying was on another show was that you should start with the local government first. And I, I didn't do it that way, I'm going to be honest, because I was in such a specialized and am in a specialized fee in my day job, field, I should say, in my day job, where I work with various military depots and all. There's not one in my backyard, right? One may be in Oklahoma. Oklahoma ones in Montana, this, that, and the other thing. But for what types of services and grants that most of our listeners will work with, maybe you should talk about how they start in the local area and, and get themselves rolling. Yeah. If you do want to do business with military and you have a unique niche product that fits the military, you're right. Go straight to federal because there's no such thing as a state military. So, um, or like your local city military that got taken care of during, during the civil war. So that you're right, just go straight to federal. But for most people, most companies, if you, if you are curious, just go ahead and send me an email for the listeners about your industry niche. But for most people, you should start out local, hyper local. So not even state. State is even too is a little too high. I would start at your local city level. Super simple. Just type in on Google the name of your city plus procurement, and it'll take you to their procurement website where they have all of their solicitations listed. And just take a look at the kind of business that they're looking for. Nine times out of 10, most small city solicitations are construction-based, right? Like they need someone to, they need an electrician or they need someone to do construction, someone to pave the road, things like that. Like it's a very um, like labor-based. And then sometimes it'll be like service-based. Like they need a consultant to come in and do their arts and culture master plan, or they need someone to, um, you know, help them take care of the homelessness problem by connecting them to housing opportunities, or they'll need someone to um, create a workforce development plan, um, or they'll need someone, they'll need a recruitment company to help them find the, to, you know, fill out these three positions in the water, um, at, you know, water and power department, things like that. So they will have a lot of time. So just keep looking at it, subscribe to their, to those procurement websites use your codes, your NAICS codes and your USP. I think they're, hold on, Mayo. let me look this up because I always, um, for, I always like mess up the acronym. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like the state codes. Right, right. A zip code or? 
No, no. Okay, so you know NICS codes are on the federal right. level. Right. On the state and city level, it's called like USPC, USPS. I always I always mess it up. I think it's... That's very interesting because I didn't know it because I deal with the federal level mostly and their NACIS, uh, the next code, NACIS codes or however you say it. But but uh, I did not know what's on the state level, uh, local level. Okay, so you do a lot with women-owned um, small businesses, correct? Can you talk a little bit about that and you know how you're geared toward your firm helping women-owned businesses? Yeah, I think, you know, women-owned businesses, because I'm just, I happen to be a woman-owned business, so I'm plugged into other women-owned business. And we're all kind of on the same wavelength, which is a lot of us are very ambitious and we're all very entrepreneurial, of course, obviously, because we're businesses. But we also have our vision of how we want to live our life. Most of us do not want to be Steve Jobs, sacrificing, you know, every second of our lives to building a business. A lot of times in the women-owned business, you'll hear my business was my first baby, but my baby was my second baby. So they care a lot about their business, but they also have other human children to tend to. For example, a lot of the women I work with are mothers. And so we want to build an empire, but we want to do it from our home. Um, or we or we want, to, we want to build an empire. We can have an office, but we want to come home at a reasonable time to pick up our children from school. And, and like we're kind, it's kind of like an interesting shift because it aligns with also what's going on being discussed on, in the general mainstream level, which is that maybe the nine to five life fit the old factory model, but it doesn't fit this new service-based, thought-based economy that we're transitioning into, right? So um, it, it's, there's kind of like, I feel like there's some kind of change happening or some kind of like cultural paradigm shift happening on what work looks like. And so I work with a lot of women to help them design their businesses around that goal. And again, that can be through government contracts because government contracts means you're doing, it's a fee for service. So you do something for them, but you don't have to be in the office, right? You don't have to be, you don't have to go to that government office facility, right? You can be, for example, like a broker helping to find people housing or, or like domestic violence victims housing, but you are doing it from your house because your contract is simply, you know, connecting the housing opportunities to the survivors, for example, something like that. Um, and then also, like I said, my background is in public policy. And so I'm very much focused on social impact. And that's what I know. And a lot of times women-owned small businesses usually are mission-driven first. So, and just so not all, obviously it just so happens that again, this is just the community I'm plugged into, which is women who have businesses that are bottom line based, but they're also mission-based as well. And that just happens to be my sweet spot and what I know to write to. Great. And I saw that you have a very strong team. I was on your website. You've got like five people or so here and there, but a lot of these people have advanced degrees and one works with policy, one works with contracts. And tell me a little bit about your team. How did you find them and, and, and how you put this all together? It's very, it seemed like a, like a tremendous resume of people. Thank you so much for saying that. People has been the number one most difficult part of my business. I think I cracked the code, which is I hired a company called 34 Strong. They are a workforce development company. We actually kind of, I didn't hire them. We did like trade and services. We kind of like helped each other out. 
And they helped me figure out the qualities in people that I needed, um, like the actual character traits, which is I needed someone who is incredibly detailed, um, someone who is self-reliant, right? And they have a they have a natural sense of ownership over their work. And they helped me write job postings to that, to those character traits to measure for their detailed. Um, like how well, how good of an attention to detail they have. Cause I have a very poor attention to detail. That's why I'm an, that's why I'm an entrepreneur. I'm so bad at it. And I needed someone to kind of like be my antithesis in that job posting. They had one bullet, random bullet in the middle of all the bullets saying, if you're interested, send an email to me with this subject line. And, um, out of like the 300 people who applied for that position, only 10 of them actually followed that bullet point. And every person who sent me that bullet point got an interview. And so that is how I was able to find like people. And then after that, it was like, you know, culture fit, product fit, value fit, all of that. And that's how I was able to find these people. Amazing. Yeah, that's that's really a great story. By the way, I, it's been going so great, I forgot to reintroduce the guest. Marianne Bolas today on uh, Small Business Horsepower, telling us a lot about women-owned businesses, how she started her business, and uh, it's been a great show so far. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm just thinking about it, and I started from my parents' basement, my business, and uh, I took it to a certain point and then sold it to a $150 million company. Uh, it was a dream come true. It was a lot of hard work, but I know that's why the name of the program is Small Business Horsepower, because I know it takes a lot of horsepower to get a business going. And government contracts are a big part of that, correct? I mean, because like you said, it's not as relationship driven. It's got a little bit more structure to it. And it could be a good starting point for businesses to make bids, correct? Yes. Can I say one other thing too, for that 10x piece, just to put it like in numbers, so people understand last year, I calculated all of the income um, or the revenue my business generated, right? And then I segmented it by type of client, whether it was government, nonprofit, a prime contractor, or a small business. My government contracts were, I only had two or three last year, I can't remember. They equaled about as much as like 10 of my small business clients in terms of full revenue, but with a third of the work a third of like the mental taxation because my job is very mentally taxing and everyone on my team is mentally taxed. So I'm always looking for opportunities to not be so mentally taxed. So how do I say this? Basically government work, like in terms of return on of mental investment and financial investment was much higher than the amount of money I got from working with, you know, regular old small businesses or nonprofits. And also with fewer mental energy that I would normally spend with small businesses or nonprofits. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. But let me ask you a question, not to be a devil's advocate, but just a question here. Do you see because of that and you spend less time, uh, do you think the margins are generally less in government contracts than your the commercial side of the business? And is that something you have to accept because it is more competitive because everyone out there bidding the same thing you are knows that it's a better paymaster and it takes less time. So you'll see a shrink in margins. So, okay, this is where I'm going to say that because I'm a woman-owned business, for me, government margins have been higher. 
and it's higher, both in terms of revenue and mental energy. Because, and I hope I don't offend anyone, but women-owned small businesses sometimes get taken advantage of, right? We have to bend, and there's a lot of statistics to support this, that we will bend over backwards, do an amazing job, and then get paid half of what someone else would have gotten paid, right? And so it's a, it's always a race to the bottom for me and for other women. Like it's always a race to the bottom. But what I the reason why my government margins have been higher is because of that transparency aspect. That is what levels the playing field for women-owned businesses. Give them my number. They like that number. They pay for it. And it's at, that number is actually higher than what small businesses would have paid for me, would have paid me. There was the one time, this is really embarrassing. Um, this was, uh, I won a contract from the state of Oregon. They, because they were equity focused, it happened to be a government agency that really cares about equity. They actually increased the amount that I had given them by 50% to make it equal to all the other consultants who had won the same contract. And um, that never happens in government. That's like so embarrassing. That's so embarrassing that that, that that happened. It's usually the opposite. Usually they'll push back and ask for less money. But because I am so used to competing in the like small business side where again, I have to really put myself like I have to offer the moon for the price of the earth. Um, I basically governments, women owned small businesses that transparency actually helps us also know what other people are charging too, because a lot of it is self-inflicted. It has nothing to do with the other person trying to wring us out to dry. It's us putting ourselves out to dry. And so me being like, wait a minute, all these other consultants who have such little experience compared to me, and they didn't even do as good of a job as I did, were charging 50% more as their standard rate. And I'm here charging 50% less that's crazy. Let me raise my rates up. And so that's why for me, again, this isn't for everyone, but for me, the profit margins in government has been higher. Well, Marianne, this is unbelievable, but we're running out of time today as, and we'd love to have you back on the show, Graham. Uh, quickly, where can people find you and your consulting company if they want to contact you? Yes. Just look me up on LinkedIn, Marianne Bullis. You could also subscribe on our website to www.bullisconsulting.org. Uh, we even, if you subscribe, you will get a free review check to help you evaluate solicitations and make informed no go no decisions so i highly recommend it thank you so much for coming on the show Graham, today on small business horsepower we really appreciate your insight uh, for small businesses and how to get into the government markets yep, absolutely it was my pleasure